I'm going to try to discipline myself and stay here. My mic isn't working very well, so I'll have to stay close to this one. My voice, obviously, is not working very well either. We're in uh, 1 Samuel, and last week we started that series. Next week, I'm going to go back to the first two chapters and then uh, carry on to uh, 1 Samuel. But our text today is uh, chapters 4 through 7, and so I'm not going to read all of that for you, but you can look that up and kind of follow through. And mostly, I will be just going through the story and then concluding with the main points um, that I think God has for us today. Eli has been the current judge of Israel. He's been the spiritual leader of Israel, and he's been the leader for 40 years. Now, he didn't start till he was 58. He's 98 at this point of time, um, which is just astounding. So, you know, if he was my age, he wouldn't even started yet. (laughs) You know, so that's pretty amazing. Um, But Samuel has already at this point in his life, as a young man, become recognized as the man of God, the prophet of God, and the real spiritual leader of Israel, even though Eli still has the title. Everyone throughout Israel knows that Samuel is the one who hears from the Lord and speaks for the Lord. And Samuel has already prophesied the death of Eli's wicked sons. The Israelites seem to always be at war with the nations around them. And especially when Israel was drifting from God, God would allow these surrounding nations to go and do great damage to Israel until Israel would repent and and turn to God. And they would cry out to God, and God would send a new judge to deliver, to deliver them. So we start in chapter 4 of Samuel with the Philistines being that surrounding nation that is now the big threat to Israel. And um, they are threatening, and Israel's kind of lukewarm following the spiritual climate of Eli the judge and all of that. The Israelites are camped at Ebenezer. And Ebenezer is a town, and the name of the town means Stone of Help. So here they are, they are at this this town where the name of the town should remind them that their help comes from the Lord and from nowhere else. But that's not what is on their mind. The Philistines cleaned their clocks. Four thousand Israelites died that day at the hands of the Philistines. The Israelites start to wonder about this. And they start to ponder what, you know, why God brought this defeat on them. They're God's people. Why did God bring this defeat? They never really stopped to really think, well, maybe there's something wrong with us. Maybe maybe we need to change our ways or any of that. But they decided to go and get the Ark of the Covenant from Shiloh and haul it the 20 miles from Shiloh all the way to Ebenezer up there at the top where the battle is with the Philistines. And that if God's presence, the glory of God that was in the Ark of the 
temple, if it was just there at the battlefield, then they would for sure win. Now, in essence, they were treating the glory of God and the Ark of the Temple, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, like a giant rabbit's foot. They were not so interested in God himself and having God there and having God as their help as they were in having some rabbit foot come from Shiloh and sit there in, in, at Ebenezer. And if they just got lucky, if they could just have that there, then they would be lucky and they would win against the Philistines. And, and so they bring it from Shiloh. Eli's two sons, who should have known better, who, who, who were in charge of the, the Holy of Holies, who were in charge of the Ark of the Covenant, who knew that no one could ever look into the Ark of the Covenant and see the glory of God without dying, those two guys decided that they would just accompany, instead of taking a stand or anything else, they decided that they would accompany it to Ebenezer. They thought it was a great idea to use this as a giant rabbit's foot. And so they did. And if you look in the scripture, it says they thought it would save them instead of thinking God would save them. That's very telling. They thought it, this Ark of the Covenant, would save them. They had no thoughts of God really saving them. They had substituted it for obedience. When the Ark of the Covenant came into the camp, the Israelites went crazy. They were ecstatic. They were thrilled. And, and they just made so much noise and they were so excited about they were going to win over the Philistines now. The Philistines... The pagan Philistines who did not know God had much more reverence and awe than the Israelites did. When the Philistines heard that the ark of God had come into Ebenezer, they were scared. They were afraid. They didn't view that as a giant rabbit's foot. They feared the God that the ark represented. They knew that it was not merely an idol of wood or stone that had come into the camp. They remembered what God had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians and how he'd washed them all away and they drowned in the sea. They remembered the plagues that Egypt went through and they rallied the Philistines and they said, you guys, if you have ever, ever fought, you've got to fight tougher than you've ever fought before in your life. And the Philistines got fired up, and they did. They fought like real men. The result for the Israelites, with a giant rabbit's foot in their presence, was absolute astounding defeat. 30,000 Israelites died that day at the hands of the Philistines. The Ark of God was captured. The Philistines took it away from Israel. And as God had prophesied to Samuel, Eli's wicked sons were killed in the battle. Now our text tells us that Eli, the judge, 
was out sitting by the road watching. I say watching because he's blind. And he's 98 years old. So he's watching with his ears. <laughs> he's trying to figure out what is happening in this battle and all of that. And he is there, it says, because even though he was compromising... And even though he was kind of a lukewarm judge, he still had a respect for the Holy of Holies. He still had a respect for the Ark of the Covenant. And his number one concern was that what happened to the Ark of the Covenant? Would the Philistines capture it? That was why he was out there watching. When the news was brought to him, and he finds out He seems to handle the news that 30,000 Israelites died that day. It, it, it doesn't seem to register on his mind and heart. When they bring him the news that Hophnia and Phinehas have died in the battle, his two sons, it doesn't seem to register for him. He doesn't seem to be too concerned about that. He already knew it was coming. It had been prophesied. But when he heard the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God had been stolen from Israel and, 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 and the Philistines had captured it and taken it out of the land of Israel, he fell backwards in his chair and he died of a broken neck. I had a friend in college. His name was Brian Hahn, but everyone called him Scooter. And you can just imagine about how mature he was um, from the name we called him, Scooter. Um, <laughs> I, I'm assuming that he's fully grown up and matured now. But he gave a devotional one night while we were at college and um, from this passage, and he told us all that the moral significance of this verse is that our mothers should always be listened to no matter how old we are when they tell us not to lean backwards in our chair. <laughs> <laughs> When Phineas, when his wife heard about Eli dying, when she heard about her husband being killed in the battle, she was okay. She was pregnant. But when she heard about the ark, she went into labor. And she died in childbirth. But before she died, she named the boy Ichabod which means the glory has departed. The glory, the presence of God has left Israel. It has been captured. That was the number one thing on her mind. You have Eli and you have Phineas's wife, who both have been somewhat irreverent about the ark of God, along with the whole nation of Israel. And they've been somewhat irreverent about who God is, this holy, glorious God that we have referenced. But all of a sudden, when, the, when God is gone, and the glory of God has departed, the number one thing that is important to them is the Ark of the Covenant. What they had so irreverently treated was all of a sudden the most important thing in the whole world. So I ask you this morning, what do you treat with little regard most of your life? 
that should be lifted up and elevated as the most important thing in the world. You see, the Israelites had just grown accustomed. They had just gotten comfortable with God. They didn't reverence him. They didn't see him as a glorious, holy, awesome God. He was just part of the fabric of their lives. But all of a sudden, Eli and Phineas' wife, the most important thing in their life was that Ark of the Covenant, the glory and the presence of God. Upon Eli's death, Samuel becomes the last judge of Israel at a time when the glory of God has departed. His presence, his glory has left and has gone into Philistine territory. And yet Samuel, as this judge, remains firm and he remains steadfast in the Lord. Now, what happens? The Ark of the Covenant leaves Israel and it gets in the hands of the Philistines. What will the Ark do? What will God's presence do in enemy territory? The interesting thing is the Philistines thought that they had actually conquered the God of Israel by taking possession of the Ark of the Covenant. In fact, when they got home to Ashdod, they put the Ark of the Covenant in the temple of their God, Dagon. And they went out the next morning, and there's Dagon off of his pedestal, on the ground, prostrate before the Ark of the Covenant. (laughs) They didn't really know what to do with that, but they picked up Dagon, they put him back on his pedestal, and they came back the next morning, and Dagon had fallen off before the Ark of the Covenant again. This time his hands are broken off, And his head is broken off. The Philistines are now worshiping a God who has no hands to do anything for them and no head. (laughs) He's decapitated. (laughs) And this God, their God, is bowing down prostrate without hands and without a head before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the great and glorious God that you and I serve. Awesome. (laughs) But that is not all that God had in store for the people of Ashdod. Notice that the Bible says the Lord, the Lord's hand was heavy upon the people of Ashdod. It was not the Ark of the Covenant that did it to them. It was the Lord himself. And I want to say to you today that holy things represent God and his presence. But they are never a replacement for God. Never, ever let a ritual or a symbol or anything else in the church replace a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He is God and He alone. There is no possession. You can't wear a cross around your neck that will ever be God. There is nothing else that you can ever do that will ever be God. They may be wonderful things, and they may represent God, and they may remind you of God, but God is God alone. The Lord's hand was heavy upon the Philistines. He wanted them to understand that he is God, and that there is no other God. So God was afflicting the people with tumors. So they decided, well... You know, this has happened since we got the ark. Well, maybe we should move the ark to another town. And and if we still had the tumors, then it was just a coincidence. So they sent the ark on down to Gath. (laughs) And when the people, when they get it down to Gath, the tumors start to afflict both the young and the old. And the tumors go away from the people at Ashdod. So, man, maybe this isn't a coincidence. Maybe there's something to this ark. Maybe there's something to this presence of God among among us. So they decided, the people of Gath decided, let's move this thing to the people at Ekron, I think it was. Yeah. So they move it there, except for when the people at Ekron saw that the Ark of the Covenant was coming, and they heard what it did at Ashdod, and they heard what it did at Gath, they said, no! We don't want it. Keep it away from us. You, you, you people at Gath, you're trying to kill us. <laughs> you know, so they're, they're all concerned. The Philistines decided that the ark had to be returned to Israel. So it's been there for seven months. It's afflicted all kinds of people with tumors. It's caused all kinds of grief. It's insulted their God and everything else. So after seven months, the Philistines inquire of their pagan spiritual leaders to figure out how they should best return the ark. Now, some of these leaders actually have more wisdom than the Israelite people did. Because they remembered what God did to Pharaoh. And so they say, you know, we don't want to be like the Egyptians and we don't want to be like Pharaoh. We don't want God just to completely destroy us. So we should return it with some humility. (laughs) We should return it with some offerings and some guilt, uh, um, guilt offerings, and we, we should, we should do whatever we can not to offend God as we return the Ark of the Covenant to Israel. (laughs) We do not want to be arrogant. We don't want to uh, um, harden our hearts. We want to honor the God of Israel as we return it. And so they said, well, how do we do this? And so they said, well, he's given us tumors. Let's, let's make five golden tumors and send that along. And apparently God had inflicted the land with rats, huge rats. And so they said, let's make some gold rats and send five of those along. And so they sent the Ark of the Covenant with his, these gold tumors and these gold rats um, back to Israel. And then they said, well, now how are we going to get it there? So they got a cart, and then they said, you know, let's get two cows that have never been harnessed before, because this all might still be coincidence. And we'll take two cows that have two calves that they're still nursing, and if we can... Um, 
we'll separate them, we'll, we'll put the calves in a pen, we'll put these two cows on this cart, and if those cows are willing to leave the calves, and without any direction from anyone, if they will head straight down the road to Israel, away from the calves that they love, then maybe God is in this, and maybe it's not coincidence. <laughs> and so, sure enough, that's what they did. The cows, it says, load all the way to Israel. So all the way from Akron to Beth Shemesh, these cows are calling for their calves who are locked up in a pen while they go directly down the road to Beth Shemesh in Israel. <laughs> kind of interesting. So at this point, they know that this is not coincidence. God is steering these cows back to Israel. When they get there, the Israelites at Beth Shemesh, and, and this looks like a big, you know, a lot of miles, but it's like five miles from Ekron to Beth Shemesh, and, and they get there, and the, the Israelites at Beth Shemesh, um, they see the Ark of the Covenant, and they drop everything. They get so excited, the Ark is back in their territory. They take the, char- the, the cart, and they chop it up for firewood, and they take the two cows, and they slaughter them as a sacrifice to the Lord. The Philistines are watching all of this happen from their border, and when it's all done, they turn around and go back home. But the thing is, the Philistines had learned reverence for God and for the things of God and for the Holy of Holies and for the Ark of the Tabernacle and all of that, while the Israelites had not yet learned that. So these men, these Israelites, who know better, who've been trained their whole lives that the glory of the Lord, you know, man does not see that. Even the great high priest, he put a veil on top of it and he only looked at it on the one day a year, the Day of Atonement. Any other time, it was not safe for the great high priest to look in at the Ark of the Covenant. But 70 of these men from Beth Shemesh decided that they were going to take a sneak peek and look at the Ark of the Covenant, look at the glory of God. And so they got got arrogant before their holy God, and the Lord put 70 of them to death. We should never get arrogant before a holy God. And we should always remember that it is only by grace and by grace alone that you and I are saved. God is holy. God is loving, but he's also holy. And there is no amount of anything that you and I can do to save ourselves. It is by grace, and it is by grace alone that we come to know God. The Israelites say, who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? And so they actually want to move the ark away from them. <laughs> so the people of Bethshemesh asked the people of Kiriath-Jerim to come get the ark, and they did, and they were wise enough, they appointed Eliezer to come and to guard it and to protect it and make sure it's covered all the time and, and properly cared for and all of that. And then it tells us that Samuel at that point, then Eli's gone, uh, Samuel rules effectively as the judge of Israel. 
The people turn to the Lord. Samuel tells them that in order uh, for them to have victory over the Philistines, because the Philistines are still planning victories, um, they need to get rid of their foreign gods if God's going to deliver them. Samuel prays for them. They confess their sins, and they fast. And the Philistines hear that all of the Israelites have gathered at uh, Mizpah, and they're, they're gathering there, and Samuel's meeting with them, and they're praying and fasting and getting ready for battle with the Philistines. And the Philistines hear that, and so they think, man, all these Israelites are all in one place. Let's go and attack them there. So they leave Philistine, they head over to Mizpah, and they plan this attack. Samuel instructs, as they're coming, Samuel instructs the Israelites to continue to pray out loud to the Lord. And Samuel offers a burnt offering to the Lord, and he cries out to God, and the scripture says, God answered him. The Lord sent a thunderstorm that was scary. The Lord sent a thunderstorm that put the Philistines into a panic, and they fled. But Israel chased them and killed many of them that day. And then we come back to kind of where we started at. Samuel set up a memorial stone, a rock, and he named it Ebenezer, the rock or the stone of help. Now, you remember that we started out with them being in the city of Ebenezer, the stone of help, being in a place where the Israelites lost the ark of God to the Philistines, even though the presence of God was right there because they treated it like a rabbit's foot. It was not having the ark of the covenant present that brought victory. It was their dependence on the God of the Ark of the Covenant that brought victory. It was confessing their sins that would bring victory. It was crying out to God that would bring victory. So now the Israelites, the Philistines, have been defeated at Mizpah, and Samuel sets up this stone to remind the Israelites that God alone is their source of help. So we have in this hymn that we sing from time to time, in the second verse, these words that a lot of people don't know what they mean when it, when it says, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. And it tells us that you and I are to go to God, not to a thing, not to a religious thing, but to God himself when we need help and we need to go to him and make him our help. So in contrast to Eli, the compromising judge, we end up with Samuel, the committed judge. He's a leader. His influence grows. He delivers Israel from the Philistines. He retakes the cities of the Philistines that the Philistines that had captured from Israel. He retakes them back into the land of Israel. He gets the Ark of God back, and he ushers in a period of peace. Samuel is this man of competence, of character, and spiritual connection to God. So what should we know 
And what should we know? What should we do? Well, first of all, there is no other God. God is God, and he is God alone. Every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess. And the gods that other people in this world bow down to and worship will one day fall prostrate, lose their hands and lose their heads, prostrate before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee and every tongue will confess to the glory of God that Jesus is Lord. Secondly, we need to be reminded from time to time that God is astronomically holy. Because he is holy, you and I need to repent of our sin. We need to seek God. And we need to receive grace. Grace doesn't mean anything to us until we have come across a holy God. In our scripture passage this morning in Sunday school, we read about Isaiah looking up and seeing God and crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And what shall we do? Well, first of all, don't replace a relationship with God for the things of God. Make sure you have a relationship with God, and that is your number one. Make sure that the glory, make sure that the glory of your life is God, and make sure He does not depart. Don't let anything else become the glory of your life, or you're going to be like Phineas's wife, you're going to be like Eli, when all of a sudden it's gone. And what you're really concerned about is the glory of God. How many, how many times, how many times have I been with people who their whole lives have irreverenced God and on their deathbed, all of a sudden all that stuff they give their life to was no longer important. May God the glory of your life. And thirdly, raise your Ebenezer. (laughs) Cry out to God for help. 